outside the ring. Outside the ring. That I just happen to be the greatest wrestling machine alive. It's all here. Universal Wrestling Podcast. I like this kind of party, baby. And now, here are your hosts. Alex Sacco. Nick Dieterding. Welcome to a very special edition of the Universal Wrestling Podcast. As you may know, we usually don't have guests on the show, but there's always an exception. On this episode, we will have the honor and privilege to talk to Chris Dunn, a former WWE creative writer. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. How are you doing? Thanks, and uh, not to disappoint fans of, of this podcast, but it will neither be an honor nor a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to being like such a nice introduction. I think my my insecurity was just feeling very weird there, but thank you. That was so not kind of you to say. Absolutely, Chris. So if you're new to the show, each and every episode, we crack open some beers and talk wrestling. Crack open a cold one. I am sipping on a vanilla porter from the Atwater Brewery. It is 5% English porter. It is available year round. It's really good. It's uh, a hint of coffee. This time of year, I love drinking coffee beer, so it hit the spot. But enough about me, Chris. Let's get to you, brother. For the people that don't know who you are, can you give us a little background on yourself? I've been in the entertainment industry for about close to 15 years. I think the reason I'm on this podcast, though, is uh, you know for close to five years, I was a writer with uh, WWE. And how did you get your start with the WWE? You know, it was kind of random. I was uh, doing development um, in New York. Um, and I had first look deal with a company. And then also I would like, you know, for various networks in New York or production companies, they would come to me to help develop their projects. And like a yeah. friend put me in touch with a company that, uh, was being run by a former, uh, WWE writer. Uh, we got to know each other well, and somebody suggests I become a writer at WWE and like being a fan beforehand, knowing how crazy it is, I took some time to really think about it. And we talked it out and I was like, you know, I growing up. You know, since I was seven years old, I, I love professional wrestling. I yeah. love WWE and kind of realized that like, you know, who kind of knew what like the ride would entail, but I didn't want to kind of let my like younger self down and have yeah. the experience to get to it. And it was, it was awesome. Like it was very, very cool to do and very cool to yeah. you know, kind of contribute to the show. That's like a, a multi-generational story. Now you left the WWE in 2020, April to be exact. Um, two questions here. First question is, what have you been up to? And second question is, why leave the WWE? I moved to LA right before the pandemic. And part of it was the kind of, from an entertainment industry perspective, just kind of continue to build relationships because I didn't want to do WWE forever, even though I loved it. Yeah. Uh, then the pandemic hit and I was one of the people who, on the writing team at least, who were there every week during the pandemic and flying from LA to Florida. And it was crazy and, and wild. Like doing that sort of TV production under those circumstances was, you know, incredibly draining. You know, we were able to do a lot of really cool stuff, circumstances considering and like develop a lot of new talent and yeah. do a lot of very cool things. I think though, like at the end of it, I kind of realized like, you know, life short. I was on, a, I, it was about like March and um, I had a chance to submit for a new animated show as a writer and I was working and kind of made me realize that like, you know, I could stay at WWE potentially for a long time, or I can kind of go and flex my wings. And like, I felt, you know, creatively, I kind of was able to have like a lot of moments I'm really proud of in yeah. the last like 18 months there. And 
I felt like creatively I did everything I could do. I did things I'm proud of and yeah. made a lot of like relationships with people I still talk to and people I still care about. And, you know, it was a really positive experience, but, you know, I wanted to kind of try other things and, yeah. you know, do other things. And, you know, since then, you know, it's been, it's been great. I'm writing for a show uh, for Vice right now and I'm developing, you know, a half hour scripted comedy with a production company that has a, hit series on netflix and i'm taking out a bunch of scripted podcasts at the start of next year to pitch to you know various homes and it's been good like i've been working with a lot of new people and flexing that creative muscle and it's just been a blast speaking of proud moments chris thanks for the segue what are some of the moments that you are most proud of here's what i'll say like you know when you're when you're at wwe and you see like former writers or producers or talent like go on on podcasts they all like not all of them but there's like a yeah. certain amount of people out there who kind of make it seem like they did everything. Like I, I remember, you know, I was filling in for Brazer writer one time and, you know, I, I did, I produced and wrote a Firefly Funhouse. Somebody who was like there like four, like for four or six weeks, who was like shadowing me, took credit for the whole thing on a podcast. So the truth about WWE is like, it takes multiple people to get anything off the ground from the writing team, from the talent. Kevin Dunn and his team are phenomenal. Uh, they are, you know, for my money, the, one of the best, you know, TV pr- production teams in the industry and just the fact what they do every, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday is amazing. So the way I say that, like, before I talk about like things I, I may or may not be proud of, like multiple people are involved. In. I think like the, the biggest thing, like is always going to be for me, like the night that, you know, Bianca Belair won, you know, the Royal Rumble. Like we worked together a little bit in NXT and then I was writing for her and helping produce her a lot. And like we were writing together for when she came to Raw. And, you know, we did those EST um, vignettes together. And like the, my dream was always for her to get called up and like win the Rumble that year. And like, I doubted it that it was yeah. going to happen at times. Like I, I even started like looking at like potentially doing like a, like, all right, well, like Bianca's not going to win the Rumble. Like, I wonder if we do like a Bianca and Billy K. Uh, rock and sock connection style team <laughs> but like you know it worked out and like uh she is like one of the best people i've yeah. ever worked with and like not just wwe and like life like going back to like high school part-time jobs yeah um and she's like one of the hardest workers so like uh because i had been working on for so much i got to like produce and like on headset call like the promo after she won the rumble and just like that moment was such a powerful emotional moment for like you know i think me okay i think also fans like i didn't really um that was her you know being just truthful and like we talked about like a couple things to potentially talk about beforehand but it was very in the moment and like you know it was the culmination of like a year of really hard work for her and like yeah. You know, especially like the last six weeks going into Rumble, she really was like flying at such a level that was so impressive. I just, I was very happy for her as a person to accomplish that because it's only happened so many, like there's only been like four or three women's Royal Rumbles. Yeah. There's only like, there's only been so many Royal Rumbles overall. There's only so many WrestleMania main events. And the fact that that happened, it was just such a cool thing. I was so proud of her and, and happy for her as a person. So EST, was that something that she brought to the table? Or was that pitched by the... What no, you- she came up with that in developmental or in, in NXT. And like, you know, she had probably talked to Hunter about it and, and Joe Bel Castro, who probably doesn't like me bring him up, but like he was kind <laughs> of like, a, he was for, while well, I was there, was like the, the creative force behind NXT and awesome. And yeah, um, but yeah, that was like a, 
that was a talent idea. And like, yeah, it was so cool. Like, you know, she, she had like really developed and a character that was kind of like true to who she was as a person, both like yeah. from her athletic background, but as her, like, as a person, Bianca is like so strong willed and cool. And like, yeah. that really comes across on camera so well. Now as a wrestling fan at the age of 30, I understand the reason behind Becky Lynch uh, going over beating Bianca Belair at SummerSlam in 27 seconds. I get it. I understand it. But from your point of view, you worked with her for a good portion. What are your thoughts on uh, Becky Lynch going over in 27 seconds? You know, I was definitely disappointed when it happened. Uh, I think the thing that kind of, you know, in retrospect, like the, the good thing about it is like, you know, Becky, you know, came back and was a heel out of it. You know, the thing about like from the inside looking out, things happen that create controversy. It depends where you go with it. Yeah. So I'm optimistic, especially now that Bianca's on Raw and like was a first round draft pick that like it is going to end up being like a, the culmination of a good story. You know, at the end of the day too, like, you know, this business is a work. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, as a fan, I was disappointed, but like, I'm interested to see where it goes. Like, you know, people talk about like where, you know, things can ruin somebody. It's always what you do with it. And a lot of that comes down to the performer. She is such a strong-willed, heartfelt person who is just so incredibly talented. I am confident nothing. That that loss in 26 seconds, it could happen in like literally four or three. Yeah. Uh, but I am, nothing is going to stop her from becoming a crossover star. And two, like WWE and AEW2 now is like a 52-week year story. Things can turn really quickly, right? Like yeah. when I started at WWE, like one of the hottest people was Heath Slater with the, like the, the Rhino story and like the free yeah. agent story. Like <laughs> he was getting massive pops. He was in the ring with Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton and like all these people, like he was over and his performances were great. And he was yeah. really amazing in that. And like, obviously like Bianca has made that at WrestleMania. Like she's at a much higher level than Heath, but like, yeah, you know, things can change really quickly. Like JBL, <laughs> you know, six JBL who, I am a, who was always great to me in my time there. And like, I am a big fan of as both like a, a performer as a person. We all know, like in six weeks, he went from a mid card, lower mid card act to a world champion. Same thing with Jinder Mahal. So like, yeah, the 26 second stuff obviously sucked and it sucked in the moment, but I, I will bet on her any day of the week and the raw creative team to kind of figure something really cool out. What were some ideas that you pitched that never got used in any writer's room in, in television? You are constantly pitching ideas. And so like most of the, most of the ideas you pitch are not going to be, I can give you a dumb one. That's like one of my favorites. Okay. Let's hear uh, it. From like when I started, when I started uh, golden truth was going on. Epico and Primo had like kind of been reinvented as the, I forget if they were the shining stars at that point or what, but like I kind of pitched them becoming con men doing a timeshare con on truth and gold dust. Okay. Where like, it would be like a, a story for like a couple of weeks where like truth put all his money into this timeshare because we were talking about like their Island essentially yeah, yeah, being yeah. like, well, yeah. So now that I'm remembering more of it, <laughs> but uh so like eventually you get to a match where like gold dust like was like truth they are screwing you they are screwing you they're screwing yeah. you and they had a tag match they would go like for if golden truth won they'd be out of timeshare i forget what yeah the shining stars something would win. yeah but uh so like golden truth goes over 
the next week, like they go to uh, Goldust is like, you know, we never really want truth. We always want somebody with your caliber, your credibility, <laughs> Dusty Rhodes' son, former yeah. Intercontinental Champion icon. And Goldust becomes like very like intrigued by it and like buys a timeshare. Yeah. Essentially based on like, it was based on a King of the Hill episode. It was like a pitch that I I pitched in like one of my first couple of weeks there. Yeah. That actually had like some momentum, but never ended up happening because it was like a lower on the tone pole story. But like we talked about it for weeks. And yeah. That's like an example of like when I was there, like, you know, not, not every story can be about the world title. And like when you have like a three hour raw, two, one hour at the time NXT and a two hour at the time SmackDown, like you have to have some entertainment. So it was yeah. just like a fun, really dumb entertainment story that I always love. There are any like, really hardcore wrestling fans listening because they may completely hate that idea <laughs> but, but i i always giggled at it and yeah like dumb but i think it would have been just like really fun to do so let's switch it up you discuss the ideas that didn't get used what about the ideas that did i don't love taking credit for ideas yeah but i will i will i will the things i'm really proud of like working with truth was always fun and we would come up with like the dumbest shit together yeah but he could get it over yeah it was just like what is the dumbest idea but like it became a thing where like the entry point to the dumbness became like very smart in the jokes and very meta yeah so like when we when we started to like really work together we did like there are just like a very a bunch of very small things yeah uh that we did that i just i always i think about and i always laugh at and love like for like SummerSlam in Toronto, we had him and Carmella hiding on the four announcer row. And it was just like a <laughs> random thing because like I would watch the pay-per-views and it's like, you do this and it's like the most boring thing ever. It was just yeah. like, kind of ripe for stuff. Um, all the Drake Maverick being Hornswoggle stuff was great. Uh, yeah. Truth pointing to the, to the WrestleMania sign that wasn't there. And then like, <laughs> working with truth and Heyman on the Brock segment. Like I didn't produce that, but like it was a a very fun segment to work on. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff. It's just like every, any idea you get to TV is always a collaborative effort. And so like many people are involved, but like, I feel, I feel comfortable talking about those just because truth and I are close enough to say like, Hey, I was on a podcast. I mentioned these and yeah, uh, he knows I have his back. We hear the stories all the time. Vince rewrites the script hours before Monday Night Raw goes live. Is that true? Is there any truth to that? And if so, what is that process like? Well, here's the thing, right? Like, so like rewrites happen, but rewrites happen at every TV show. Okay. And like, um, you know, the way I equate WWE is like, you know, Vince it, Vince McMahon is Lauren Michaels. And yeah. yeah. Uh, you are doing a live TV show and like, you know, you go into a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday with a, a script and like a layout of what you want to do, but like things happen. Like, yeah. Talent may not like it. Uh, rehearsal may go badly. There was like one rehearsal we had where like I had to go to Vince and like that for a segment that is not remembered well, that would have been remembered a lot worse and tell him I didn't think the performer could like pull off the promo and we switched the person out. Um, so like you are like, there are rewrites yeah. and there are rewrites that like go up to showtime and like sometimes past. And like, there've been times in gorilla where like, I'll get something approved by, by Vince, but like, yeah, 
that's not really different than many other TV shows that are, are live, like that you are constantly doing it. And like, you know, part of it is like, too, is like, you want part of the reason that happens, like you're involving talent and yeah. like you are hearing their feedback and hearing their ideas and hearing their opinions and you're yeah. collaborating. Um, same thing with like the agents or the producers, you're collaborating with them on like the matches or like the, like they may have ideas about your promos. You may have ideas about their matches. Yeah. Um, in some ways as you know, it's a very stressful thing because it is a live TV show. Yeah, um, it's true. But at the end of the day, it's a, it can be a very collaborative process. And yeah. I, I feel like, you know, one, like one of the cool things about being there, it's like one of the cool things I'm doing now, like I love kicking ideas back and forth with people and like figuring out like a, a story or like a moment or a joke or like, you know, just like creating something with people. And like, you know, I feel there are like agents there I really got to do that with talent there. Um, tons of people and like so yeah like rewrites happen but like rewrites happen on every show yeah now speaking of uh agents michael hayes mm. we got to talk about him how how was it to work with somebody like that it was really interesting i learned a lot from michael um you know i learned a lot about match psychology as well as like promo psychology um you know it's funny like you know in i'm not saying michael is this but like there are a lot of people who are like like, for example, they say, like, all-star players aren't necessarily the best coaches in sports, yeah. but, like, you know, Michael was, like, an all-star promo, and, like, he gave great notes on promos, and, like, he really understood story, and, like, he, you also, like, learned a lot about if you worked with Michael putting matches together and psychology. Yeah. And, you know, it was also just good hearing stories about the business. Um, so, like, I, I got a lot. I felt I really grew as a wrestling mind being around Michael. Let's stick with the Michael theme here for a second. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Michael Cole. I love him. I think he's uh, one of the best. I know he gets a lot of flack because he supposedly replaced JR, but obviously you can't replace him. How was he to work with? Did you have any experiences with uh, Michael Cole? Cole is the best. Um, I, I love Michael Cole. Like he, Me too. He probably has like the the toughest job in the company because like – yeah he has a headset with multiple people talking into him <laughs> and he is represent. He is the voice of a publicly traded fortune 500 company. Yeah. Um, and he also has to get story across. He has to get talent over. He has to get story notes in. Um, he busts his ass. Like yeah. it's nobody's business. Like he's taking, Oh, you can take, see it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he takes can meticulous tell. notes behind the scenes. Like I, I felt I wrote a joke that like I was really proud of for this like twenty four seven thing that Truth did where like yeah for when it was like a Christmas episode where like <laughs> Santa said you're not getting any more coal and like Truth said like nobody wants any more Michael Cole but like <laughs> it was a joke because it was like a very meta good joke yeah but like uh, if I if I was putting together a wrestling show uh, to air on TV like Michael Cole like would be like one of my first draft picks. Yeah. Um, over talent just because like his job so insanely difficult. And like I know people want to blame like the product or whatever all the time. And he's like the yeah. face of it. So he's like an easy target. But dude, yeah. the dude hustles at, like it's nobody's business and he cares about the business and he cares about talent. 
he cares about stories and he cares about, you know, making the show as good as possible. So yeah, he's, he's awesome. Let's backtrack a little. We talked about Vince earlier. Let's continue the topic of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. How does a conversation go with him? I can only imagine. Vince has been part of my life since I was seven years old. Like, yeah. uh, you know, you, you know, he, he accomplished so much in his life, taking his father's business and creating this global brand. Like, you know, wrestling comes from like carnies and Vince has made it accepted in mainstream pop culture. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like I, I being in those meetings where you're hearing Vince talk about like psychology or business or, or life, um, you know, Vince really cares about manners or, and preaches that stuff. Um, like, and you know, it's cool to see him take the time with his busy schedule, like caring about, like caring about that. Like, um, I learned a lot from him. Like I, yeah. I don't, I don't know him well, uh, obviously like my, my interactions about him were about the show. Um, yeah. and the dude has a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but I, I learned a ton working for him. Yeah. Not just about entertainment and, but like, or wrestling, but like from like story structure or, or life. So Chris, what goes into an NXT call-up? Do the higher-ups tell the creative team, this guy or this girl is coming to the main roster, ignore everything they've done in NXT, and let's just repackage them? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's like a case-by-case basis. Okay. Um, I don't know how it's going now. Like, for my time there, I don't think we really like repackaged any one good. I think like on my end, I was working... NXT and um, the the main roster a lot in my time there, not okay. all of it. Um, for me, I would just be told like, "This is happening." Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever it was, um, occasionally, like we would make pitches for um, NXT talent for the main roster. Uh, sometimes, you know, yeah. I would make pitches to send people to NXT um, just because yeah. I thought it would help you know, both brands and, uh, reef help talent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it legitimately is a case by case basis. Chris, I got to ask this question. It has been reported by Twitter account, WrestleTix that October 11th edition of Monday night raw had the show's lowest attendance since WWE returned to live touring estimated fan attendance was uh, 4,031. What's the deal there? Um, you know, so like, I'll be honest, since I left WWE, I've, I've only started to get back into wrestling. So I, I did not know that, um, okay. that happened. Um, attendance is a weird thing. Like it, I think, do you know what city it was in? Yes. Chase center in San Francisco, California. Yeah. I mean like California, like there's like, they have, be- like I live in California. It's become yeah. a lot. Um, you know, so like my girlfriend and I, left to let go because we're both from New York, spend a month there in July. Like when we left, um, like COVID numbers were like 30 new cases a day. Yeah. And then like in our time there, we kept on seeing it go up and up and up and up. Yeah. So by the time we got back, it was like in, it was back at almost like, it wasn't like peak pandemic, but it was definitely yeah. like depressing numbers. Um, but from like, for me, at least speaking, like from a, uh, yeah, it is like California has become a lot 
more um, strict. Okay. Like, b- both like the, not just the state, but also the people living in it. Um, it's one of the reasons the numbers have gone down as much as it has. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably like a major part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, you know, TV numbers are down everywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> like at the end of the day is what it is. Like in the last two to three years, WWE has gotten like $3 billion deals yeah. from for, for like one for the pay-per-views and then raw and SmackDown. Yeah. Uh, Peacock Fox. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. like, you know, the, the product is popular. Um, I just think like, we'll, if, if things go back to normal and like, yeah, things are like that again, like, yeah. Then I would be worried. I think it's just like such a weird time. It's hard to kind of like really go into it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Let's get, let's get one more question before we get into the next segment. Um, who were some of the easiest people to work with and who were some of the toughest? Uh, well, I'll, I'll go easiest and, yeah. and not answer, not answer the second part. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. Do what, do what you got to do. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, from like a, a talent standpoint, like obviously we talked like Bianca truth. Yeah. Um, Cesaro's the man, Natalia. Seth Rollins is uh, Seth Rollins is one of the most impressive people in the whole company as a person. Uh, he is such a leader and like yeah, uh, he thinks about, you know, you have to be like so successful. You have to be like so like you're you have to be focused on you to kind of break through in WWE. Um and like sometimes talent forgets about the whole show, but Seth is like this guy who thinks about the totality of everything, not just in the moment, week to week, 52 weeks a year, both for himself and the whole brand. And like, you know, WWE is so lucky to have him. Um, yeah. The Viking Raiders are the best. Uh, Roman's cool. Um, you know, uh, Adam Cole, awesome. Daniel Bryan, awesome. Ton, like the and then like you know behind the scenes like there are again like kind of going back to like stuff that we we're talking about before like it takes so many different facets to get the show on air every week like kevin dunn's whole team is phenomenal yeah um johnny lawrence johnny lawrence's team is awesome just there are so many great people there can we hear our impression of john lawrence i i I feel it would be a, a letdown <laughs> if I did it. Uh, yeah. I'll just like, I'd yeah. rather just play like a super Dave Osborne clip and kind of go from there. But he is the, uh, he's like the, he's one of the nicest human beings. Like, yeah. and like you learn so much about like the industry and just like how to lead from him. He's so, so cool. Chris, let's get to the final segment of the episode. Let's call this moments in WWE for this segment. I'll give you a moment and you'll provide your thoughts. So let's get to it. The first moment is AJ Styles debuts at the Rumble. I, I, marked, I marked out like it was nobody's business. So <laughs> Yeah. Daniel Bryan announcing his retirement. I remember as a fan, I was reading all the rumors, and it was yeah. just like a, it was a very tough thing to watch and a bummer um, to seeing somebody who puts so much work in make it to such a level to see something ripped away. The Festival of Friendship. 
that really inspired me as a writer there. I was still kind of a rookie on the team at that point. And okay, like, so you were there for that. Yeah, yeah. Jay okay. Jacobs, uh, who's at Impact now. Yeah. Um, like he, you know, he was so great with Jericho and, and close to Kevin. Kevin is also awesome. Such a great yeah. guy to work with. Um, you know, it, you, Jimmy was like very passionate about that idea. And like he, yeah. you know, he had talent was on board and, uh, you know, then seeing it executed, seeing it have two segments, seeing how cool it came off. It just like, yeah, it kind of really inspired me to kind of thinking like what this job could be. Um, and it was just like, I, you know, when you're in the grind of like producing the show every week, like you lose a little bit of your fan at hat. Yeah. Um, you know, that moment that Jimmy and Jericho and Kevin did like made me feel like a fan. And like, it was kind of always like the kind of always like the gold standard of, you know, if I'm ever able to accomplish anything like a 10th as good as this, I'll feel, I'll feel really cool. Nice. Yeah. Next, uh, AJ Styles beats John Cena at SummerSlam. Yeah, it was just like it was very wild to see, and like I felt really good for AJ as somebody who watched his whole career, and like uh, it was just such an amazing match and moment. I don't, I think I was still, I forget if I knew the fin- that finish at that point, but because um, I was still so new, but yeah, it was just pretty. It was pretty amazing to be there in person and see that. Yeah, I bet. And this next moment was probably uh, the same as well. The Hardy Boys return at WrestleMania. <sighs> yeah, I was um, I, f- I was in Gorilla for some reason before that. And, like, so you heard the pop. Yeah, you felt because it was in Orlando and like they had built that deal where it was kind of like Disney World. Yeah. So it was like, oh, yeah, the roller coasters of, and shit. Yeah. yeah. So and like it was a long it was a very long ramp. I forget how, but you know, it, it, the the pop was so loud that you felt it shake. Um, yeah. So it was just cool to be there. It was especially for like my first mania working with the company. Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff take roles of uh, executive directors for Raw and SmackDown. I worked for Heyman on Raw. He requested to have me on the show. And I'm so thankful for working with Paul. And like, yeah. I grew up a big ECW fan. And you learn a lot about you know, promos, promos from him, but you also learn a lot about like life and experience. Like he's lived it all. He's been through so many different things. And like, you know, he's such a good person, such a good family man. And he genuinely yeah. cares about, you know, every talent on the roster, them fulfilling their, their potential and like playing to their strengths. And, you know, I was kind of talking about before, like that, that truth working on that, um, the truth Brock promo with him and, and those guys, like I, I did not produce it, but like we kind of yeah. talked about it in the week leading up to it, you know, he was, he was always so supportive, man. Like I'm so um, I'm just, I, I would not trade the time working for him for anything. He is a, uh, he is, he is a genius and just such a good, good person. And yeah. he's been more impactful than anyone realizes with WWE creative since, you know, before, after he started. Um, and Eric, like Eric, like I knew briefly, like he, he was nothing but nice to me. And like, it was so cool being around him. Uh, I didn't get to work with him because I was on raw, but he's yeah. just a nice guy. Kofi Kingston. God, this was such a good moment. <laughs> winning, winning the WWE championship. Yeah, it was wild. And it was a thing that like, you know, the fans really like it all, 
it all came together in such a weird way. Like I, I worked on a promo with New Day earlier. I mean, you better tweak in their promo and like Kofi brought up that he had never had like a championship match. I was like, oh, that's funny. But then I kind of forgot about it. And like, you know, I like seeing that story happen. It was like one of the two or three coolest stories in my time at the company. Like, again, like I, yeah. I had very like little to do to, I don't, I was on smack now at the time. Like, I don't think I produced anything on that, but like it, I watched, like, it just made me feel like a fan and made me very feel like so happy for Kofi. Uh, next moment, Roman Reigns relinquishes the universal title to battle his returning leukemia. Yeah. I mean, that's, it was tough. Um, it was a real tough, tough moment. Um, you know, that was obviously like a very highly kayfabe situation. And, you know, it was really sad. Like you were, you know, in that job, like you, you kind of go into it and like, you think about your top guys all the time. Like they are your priority. And it was just like, Roman is like such a nice person and such a cool dude and like such a, a good guy. Like, it was wild to watch and just made you feel like, so, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful that he's, he's good. And like, yeah. he's just, you know, change, he's crushing it. One more question. I think, you know, they said it's the summer of uh, Cena, but I think it's the decade of Roman Reigns. <laughs> what are your thoughts on his current run? I mean, I think like you kind of gave him, he has beaten everyone from like Cena and Brian and edge and like, but like at the end of the day, the promos are strong the story beats are strong. You know, yeah. he, he does such a him and like his writer do such a phenomenal job. Uh, Heyman does such a phenomenal job with it where yeah. this, uh, this is such an iconic run. And uh, I think it's one of those things that like I, as fans watch it, I think we all kind of know this is a special thing we're watching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool. Let me ask you some questions. What's your, what got you into wrestling? For me, it was 1998, King of the Ring. I was watching it with my cousin, hanging out with him. I saw Taker throw Mankind off the Hell in a Cell, and I was hooked ever since that moment for a lot of reasons. It was different. It was awesome. It was something I've never seen before, and I was hooked since then. So, yeah, that's where I started. You went to uh, AEW recently, right? Yes, Dynamite. It was great. The main difference I see there is the, uh, the fans. They look like me, you know, they're 30 year old guys. They're not little kids, which obviously WWE caters to. And why wouldn't you? I mean, Vince is an amazing businessman and, you know, I'm not going to knock that. But for me, it was really cool. Um, It seemed packed. I mean, there was, you know, a few seats that were open, but it was just exhilarating. It was so fun to just be there with your boys and just, you know, watch wrestling. Have you been to an AEW event? I was invited a couple of times. It's yeah. uh, I'm sure I'll go at some point, probably when they're in LA. Yeah. Um, or maybe when I'm, if I'm, you know, in the same city that night. Um, but yeah, like I, I have a lot of friends there now and, and people oh, I've yeah. worked with. Uh, so I'll definitely, I've definitely started paying more attention. It's like when you're working in wrestling uh, it is your life. Part of like leaving. And like when I quit was like, I needed like a detox. So like I've, you know, yeah, I would say like around SummerSlam, I, I started to get back into it a little bit. But yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm happy for a lot of people over there. Um, yeah, you know, from Black and you know, it's like Cole and all those guys. Yeah. Um, what uh, what's your favorite match? Well, I have two favorite matches. My number one match of all time is Ric Flair going one on one with uh, HBK at WrestleMania. 
It was phenomenal. I'm all about storytelling. And that match was uh, so entertaining, so fun. And, you know, two of the best in the ring, tearing down the house. Can't get any better than that. My second favorite match, and I was there live, Brooklyn 2, Shinsuke going one-on-one with Samoa Joe for the NXT title. It was just another phenomenal match. And being there live, Shinsuke debuting the violinist, just tore down the house. I mean, the crowd went nuts for it. The pop. And then just the match again, storytelling. Two uh, really good competitors going one-on-one. It's a match that I will never forget. Those are my two favorite matches. Yeah, that was a, a match that is like a gold standard like story. And yeah, and yeah, it's like it was one of, the, one of the reasons Sean's the best ever. Chris, it's been an honor and privilege. I know you don't think so, but for me, it has <laughs> been. Thanks again for coming on. You can follow us on Twitter at the UW Pod and Instagram at UW Podcast. Peace, 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 peace. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Check us out on the web at uwpod.com. You've got mail. Or send us an email. We really don't know what we're dealing with here, man. Info at uwpod.com.